Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 65 and audio season three, episode 28 of Music is Not a Genre. Each week, I take uh, some stuff from my collection. I discuss them. I give you my take on them. I throw in some interesting tidbits. I try to bust down barriers and break myths and things like that, and I connect them to my music, to other music in the world, to other things in the world. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your support, for all the, the listening and watching, and uh, especially my Patreon patrons. Uh, if you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, please take a moment to do so. It's uh, youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo, or Music Is Not A Genre. Look it up. Or uh, patreon.com slash Music Is Not A Genre. If you'd like to be part of the Patreon family, I would really appreciate that. Uh, we are going to get right to it today. Uh, today is A Death Is Dumb, Volume 4, Alice in Chains, Harmony in the Dark. That's, that's my title. That's what I, that's what I named it. So... Yeah, if you're tuning in now, if you're an Alice in Chains fan or if you're just trying out Music is Not a Genre, uh, you heard my spiel at the beginning, but the quick uh, you know, uh, rundown of what this mini-series is, is um, I talk about music deaths that have impacted me. In particular, there may be some out there that have impacted you that are different, whether you're older or younger, or someone, uh, maybe Selena or Elvis, or, <laughs> you know, uh, keep going uh, back in the years or forward in the years. These happen to be uh, people, artists from my collection. Uh, as someone in the band uh, met an untimely death and it changed kind of the, uh, you know, the face of the band and, and the way uh, things happened to them subsequently. And I like to kind of weave through that and make the point of death, death is dumb because uh, I have kind of a conflicted relationship with death, I guess you could say. I know many people do, but I like to be kind of upfront about it and, and, and say that the older I get, the, the less I understand it. And I think that these kind of, um, you know, anecdotes and talks about bands and people uh, whose careers ended or changed because of death, a good way to kind of illustrate that. So that said, I, I want to... I want to make a point here that I think bears discussing because it has to do with, well, genre and with the fact that music is not, you know, music is not a genre is the whole deal here, but how genre itself is misleading in more ways than just um, the music, the sound. You know, you might associate certain sounds or, or lyrics or certain things with a certain type of genre when you hear that label. 
And if you are a fan of it, then you would be able to say, no, that doesn't, that, that's not a definition. It doesn't include everything that's in that music. I think the same holds true when you're talking about the world of that genre, the vibe, uh, the impression that people get from the outside, especially. You know, like, for example, you hear heavy metal and you think, well, uh, people from the outside might think all the lyrics must be aggressive or uh, negative or even, even evil in some way if you're, you know, that type of person. And anyone who's a heavy metal fan knows that the lyrical content of heavy metal is as diverse as any other genre, any other type of music. And in this case for this week, dealing with the band Alice in Chains, uh, I'm really kind of opening up uh, a mini can of worms or a mini jar of flies, huh? Um, because I'm entering into, officially, I guess you could say, the world of grunge. And the the thing about grunge is, like any other label, genre, you think, oh, okay, all grunge, you know, from the outside, all grunge sounds the same, all grunge is, you know... Uh, whiny, whiny white dudes, you know, uh, talking about how hard life is for them or something. Uh, anyone who's a fan, again, knows that that is, that is far from the full picture, right? And uh, I kind of, I started out, if you read the text, you can see that I, I said that this is one of the, the perfect examples, Alice in Chains, of why genres and labels don't work, because uh, they are often lumped together with um, all the other well-known uh, grunge and grunge era bands and Seattle and Seattle era bands, such as Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden. You know, you hear Alice in Chains mentioned, mentioned with them. Uh, what we as fans know, and if you're not a fan, I suggest that you look into this, is that they're all different. They're all quite different. Yes, they all have roots to some degree in hard rock or metal, that's absolutely true. But not only did all of them diverge in different ways, which you hope happens with bands as they, as they get older and they evolve and develop, but they even started out differently. And my kind of shorthand here is that Nirvana uh, pulled more from punk, college rock, things like that. Pearl Dram more from classic rock, 70s rock. Uh, pumpkins, more kind of emo. They are professed uh, fans of The Cure and things like that. They have that kind of sonic palette to them. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots is power pop um, and certainly some degree of 70s hard rock, and, and, but, but especially kind of the, the big power pop bands of that era and, and beyond. And, uh, you know, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, I believe, out of all of those bands, were the only two that you could say, oh, they were just rooted in metal. Um, and not on, and rooted in metal, but also took metal to its, you know, one of its next logical evolutions. I mean, metal, you know, just like every type of music, the longer it's around, it splinters off into various other kinds of music. So soon after this kind of, um, you know, metal-tinged grunge, you have new metal and rap rock and things like that. Totally awesome, you know. Uh, you know, emo picked up some things from both metal and punk, uh, especially as it became more programmatic and, and, and less diverse. And so, with Soundgarden, you had well, really, I think both Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, have progressive elements to their music. So it's kind of metal mixed with progressive rock. 
mixed, uh, yes, also with punk, you know. Uh, they they incorporated progressive elements both in terms of rhythm and and harmonics, and I'm not even talking about the lyrics yet. We'll get to that. And and as far as sound, they both found ways to show that you could be aggressive, that you could be hard, but at the same time you could be quote unquote soft. You could be more more intimate. You could be more vulnerable more open you can even be quiet in certain places and sure you get the the kind of the typical grunge thing where it's you know uh soft verse loud chorus but over the course of an album or even a career there were times where these bands were very quiet these bands were very loud and and, and in fact one of my you know probably my favorite album of Alice in Chains um, is it really incorporates both some very quiet kind of laid back stuff and some louder stuff and yeah, you know, again, genre and labels, bullshit. Heavy metal itself did that, you know, uh, way back there, there. But 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 I would say, and I would argue that there were acoustic moments in various heavy metal bands. There were power ballads and things like that. But it really took kind of that next evolution of the grunge metal bands to show that you could. Be as be that vulnerable, and not just in the in the terms of sound, but also in lyrical content, and be you know kind of pouring your heart out in certain ways. And there was a lot of angst, you know, in many kinds of music, but in particular when you're talking about grunge, you know, kind of personal lyrics talking about something that you're going through that aren't done just in this kind of defiant, defensive, aggressive way. There's vulnerability, there's there's openness there, open wounds, you would even say. And the thing that that got me, because this is my weird relationship to Alice in Chains. They were not the first, second, third, or fourth band of the grunge era that I got into. They may not even be even been the fifth. Uh, I I liked them. I respected them. I respected the fact that both Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley started out in different bands in the early 80s that were glam metal, that were hair metal. And look up the pictures. I am not exaggerating about that. And that they didn't reject that history. They just morphed it until you had that kind of more, you know, grunge, we don't care about our appearance thing you know, in terms of look and persona, but in terms of the music, they maintained uh, heavy melodic elements, just really very melodic harmonic elements, certain harmonic elements, and certainly that kind of pounding uh, straight ahead rhythm, even though progressively they, they, you know, morphed a bunch of different rhythms. And when I talk about Soundgarden in a future episode, I'll talk about how that influenced me and what a big thing that was. But as far as Alice in Chains... Um, it, it was really the, the thing that caught me there were the harmonies. And let me give you a quick, you know, backstory about harmonies in grunge. The first grunge band that I heard that woke me up from the kind of uh, musical lull that I had been at the, in at the time where I was exploring classic rock and stuff, which is wonderful. You know, you have to go backwards sometimes to go forwards. But it brought me back into the present of music was Pearl Jam. And it was, in particular, the song Even Flow. And it's because 
they had a, I mean, they, they could even flow very strong kind of, uh, you know, hard rock metal sound, very driving. And most of the time with music like that, it's a minor key. And there's a minor key element to uh, parts of that song. But when the chorus kicks in, it is decidedly and definitively in a major key. So to be that aggressive, you know, to be that shouty, to be that hard rock with distorted guitars and things like that and, 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 and that growly voice, but to then throw a major key in there was something that previous metal, if it did it, it did it very sparingly and is not known for it. To me, the big change in grunge in terms of musical structure was the fact that, that all of these bands found ways to incorporate bright major key elements, both in terms of the chords and the harmonies and, oh, and the melodies as well, while still keeping things aggressive and, and hard. So it's as though the sonic palette represented the lyrical content, represented the idea that um, uh, uh, the sum total of a person's experience in life is not all hard, all soft. And it's not all black, all white. There's shades and, and all of that stuff. And that's what that song Even Flow did for me. you know. And I will talk about Pearl Jam in a future episode as well. And then I moved over to Nirvana and uh, Smashing Pumpkins and then Soundgarden. And they each captivated, captivated me in a different way. And then uh, around that time, but a couple years later, and I guess it was around the you know, time when Kurt Cobain died, uh, this album came out. And for those of you listening on audio, I'm showing everybody the uh, cover of the album Jar of Flies from 1994. And when that came out, it did for me, in really an instant, what uh, a good friend and music colleague of mine, uh, Rich uh, Berta, said in an interview I did with him recently, which if you haven't checked out my interview series, it's on Patreon, please do. Really interesting people, awesome talks about music and things beyond music. Uh, but he, he said that... For some reason in that of that era, Allison Chains is the band he keeps going back to because the more he listens to them, the more he finds, the more intricacies, the more interest, the more genius and stuff like that. And for me, that's it, it may not necessarily be that band. I think uh, it was pro it's probably been Stone Temple Pilots in a lot of ways. Um, I have respect for all the bands and have followed every single one of them. Smashing Pumpkins is pretty high on my list. Uh, but Allison Chains... That experience happened to me with Jar of Flies in 1994 because I knew their stuff from Facelift and uh, and the other albums, you know, like, uh, I guess, Rooster and Man in the Box and stuff like that. Awesome, and I loved it. <clears throat> but it was a certain kind of sound that was almost, in its own way, Guns N' Roses-y. And, you know, one thing about Guns N' Roses, they've never been classified as grunge. They, to me, were the bridge between 80s metal and 90s metal uh, more than any other band. But they always maintained that kind of like, uh, you know, L.A. metal sound to them, no matter what else they, they did. And yeah, I'm, I'm under, you know, I'm underselling the, the genius of their great era as well. But early Alice in Chains kind of reminded me of that. And what I knew of them, I was like, I like them. I think they're awesome. I love certain aspects about them, but... 
it, nothing really compelled me to get into them until Jar of Flies. And when I heard the song, No Excuses, which I did a cover of in a, in a grunge uh, concert, the uh, acoustic concert that I did last year. Uh, I, I, I'll, I think, include the link here. Um, that song, uh, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, this band is serious. They've, they've got depth and they have range. In the same way that, like, the Tiny Music album did for me for sound, for Stone Temple Pilots, that's what Jar of Flies did. That that, that could have both uh, No Excuses and I Stay Away. And it all comes together in this beautiful, brilliant way. Blew me away. I'm using the word way a lot. And part of that experience were the harmonies. Because, yes, they had that same element of uh, soft, hard, minor major uh, major minor you know all of that but they added this other element that none of the other bands did to the same degree and many of those other bands had harmonies you know even freaking you know nirvana had harmonies but alice and chains banked on that kind of tight harmony in often in major key uh in a major key scale a major scale and I described it as medieval organum parallel harmonies. If you know anything about music history, organum was one of the first times that music was uh, performed harmonically. Prior to that, you have kind of the plain chant, the Gregorian chant. It was, uh, so far as we know, single voices or unison voices singing one melody. And then Organum comes along, and it was one of the first developments of par parallel voices, which was a form of harmony. And it sounds very medieval to us today. And I always thought the Alice Chains harmonies had that medieval quality to them. There's really close harmonies in thirds or harmonies in fifths and just the, even fourths and the way they stepped up, stepped down. They didn't follow the strict rules of, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the counterpoint from back then. There were certain steps you couldn't take, et cetera, et cetera, as dictated by the powers that be back in the medieval times. But that was part of what made their harmonies both at the same time bright and haunting. And that's why one of the reasons I called this episode Harmony in the Dark. I'll get to the other reason later, which has to do with the death is dumb theme. But that kind of bright slash, you know, haunting harmony really drew me in. And their, and their range that they showed on that album that they continued through this album here. I'm pointing to 1995's uh, eponymous Alice in Chains with the awesome color. Uh, those of you listening on audio, go ahead and look it up, 1995. Uh, and it, it really showed me the way it showed my friend Rich through the years that this was a band's worth getting into, you know. And one of the reasons why is because uh, unlike, I would say, I think really any of, of the other grunge era bands, Alice in Chains had two amazing lead singers. You know, what we, what we may not know, even as fans, what I didn't know to the degree that I know now is that Lane Staley was the front man and the lead singer but not the only one. Jerry Cantrell shared lead singing duties with Lane Staley, both as a harmonic partner and solo on his own, singing full songs, singing parts of songs. And uh, that I think is a hallmark of 
why Alice in Chains' vocals were just so amazing. And I continue to be amazing to this day is because you had this, you know, lesser known to some people, a talent in Jerry Cantrell, who was the, you know, the major, one of the absolute major driving forces behind the band still is, uh, having vocals that were equally as good as Lane Staley's. And that's why harmonically they just meshed so well together. Just really just amazing stuff. And just to, you know, put a button on some of the history of this, they they got together out, off of their kind of glam metal era in 1987, formed the band Alice in Chains off of one of uh, Lane Staley's old band names, which was Alice Un, as if uh, shortening the word and, Chains. And then they changed it to what we know as Alice in Chains now. And um, started with uh, Mike Starr, and Sean Kinney, Jerry Cantrell, Lane Staley. In the early 90s, Mike Starleff was replaced by Mike Inez. And the amazing thing here, and, and other than the hiatus they took after Lane Staley's death, which I'm getting to next, Jerry Cantrell, Mike Inez, and Sean Kinney are all still in the band. And anytime that happens, whether it's with a band like U2 or Rolling Stones or what have you, it's always a wonderful thing to me to see how many of the band members remain. Even even Stone Temple Pilots, I believe the three surviving members, other than the new lead singer, are all still a part of the band. And that's just an awesome thing. Uh, something I just learned, to be honest. So what happened? In 2002, Lane Staley, who had been uh, trying you know, his best to battle drug addiction, and the uh, you know psychological emotional issues surrounding that uh, fell victim to that and died uh, from I believe taking a speedball, which I think is heroin and cocaine. Not a drug expert, and um, I think what I remember is he died in a house and was found days later. So just complete tragedy surrounding the whole thing. And then they took a hiatus. And came back a few years later with the lead singer, William Duvall, who was still with them. And, uh, and Jerry Cantrell still sings lead as well. And continue to put out new albums. I think their most recent album, I want to say, was 2018. And it's a band that I have to dive into and do kind of my chronography on. Because I only really know the albums you see in front of you. Which, for those of you who don't see them, the, the, the first two, Jar Flies 94, Alice in Chains 95... Their comeback was um, Black Gives Way to Blue from 2009. And that's with the William Duvall, you know, and they've put out a couple of albums since then. I want to say it was 2013, 2018, but please look it up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, those are albums I have to listen to still and would like to and absolutely will at some point. But what I heard from, when I heard Black Gives Way to Blue, I was like, oh, my God, I, they sound so much like classic Alice in Chains more than any of the other um, lead singer replacements and any other bands who had to replace their lead singers, such as Stone Temple Pilots. It's amazing the consistency of sound. And now that I understand that Jerry Cantrell plays such a, a huge part in that, I know, I know why. And so now we get to the reason why death is dumb. And now we get to the reason why I, you know, moved all this kind of over as far as, uh, you know, waiting till now to talk about Lane Staley's death. And hearkening back to my title, Harmony in the Dark, and also the point I was trying to make about 
uh, us having misconceptions based on genre, label, and all of that. Lane Staley dies. A drug addiction. Found in his home. All of this stuff. And many of us, I'm sure, said, okay, no big surprise. He was a grunge dude. He played hard music. There is, there's the huge mistake. There's the huge assumption that we make. And this is the notion I'd like to disabuse any of us of, including me, because we all fall prey to it. And that is that the sound of music somehow dictates what type of person does it. And that may seem like a simplistic way to say it or to argue it, but the, the point is this. There are people, there are hundreds, thousands of people doing heavy metal, punk, freaking death metal, you know, um, speed metal, any, any kind of hard music who are extremely well-adjusted people, whether they've been through stuff or not, who have lived long, fruitful lives with families and friends and all this other stuff, right? There are people who have done the, the softest, most lulling, uh, beautiful pop music or, or even relaxing country music or jazz, you know, uh, smooth jazz, whatever you want to call it. Music that's a pop that sounds very, uh, very non-aggressive, very welcoming, who are, who are or have been extremely damaged people uh, who, who in one way or another have led tragic lives or, and or who have met tragic ends. And the reason I'm saying this is because it is reductive for us to say, oh, of course Lane Staley died of a drug overdose. When somebody like uh, we think the Bee Gees as, you know, pop or disco or their various incarnations of pop and watch my Bee Gees, uh, you know, episode for that because they were awesome. And their their younger brother, Andy Gibb, is exactly the same thing. And, you know, Morris Gibb suffered from huge alcohol bouts of alcohol with alcoholism. And Andy Gibb died of, you know, uh, drug issues and heart issue based on his drug abuse. And, that has that doesn't show up in the sound of the music, right? So, you know, those of you who know this will say, well, yeah, duh, duh. There, there are artists whose music or even acting or anything is very palatable and they their private lives are completely different, you know? Whether that's someone who just had a tragic life who tried really hard to make it good or people who we've learned, you know, subsequently were scumbags. But their, their output was very kind of clean and palatable. And, but, and, and the point I'm making here with Lane Staley and even Kurt Cobain and even Chris Cornell, and, and I'll get to him in another episode, both of them, is that the kind of music they did had nothing to do with how they ended with the tragedy of their lives. Um, they were able to pour some of that struggle and angst into the music that they were doing in ways that were more effective and more comprehensive than some of the other music that I'm talking about. But that doesn't mean uh, causation is not correlation or correla correlation is not causation or whichever it is. That doesn't mean that because of one, the other happened. Because the music was dark, 
they died tragically or, you know, vice versa. Um, the connection there is just in the personal nature of what they did. And the other connection, and I, and I say this all the time, is that there's no such thing as one type of music that's qualitatively better than another type of music. There is good and great and wonderful music in all kinds and all sounds and all styles and genres of music, labels notwithstanding. Um, so, which is again, thank you to my friend Rich for pointing out something that I've always believed with other bands and is very true with Alice in Chains. And that is that they deserve a comprehensive listen. They deserve respect and recognition for the music they did. These are all, whether you're talking pop or jazz or metal or grunge or, you know, country, hip hop, these are all people whose biggest love in life is music, who spend hours and days and years honing their craft, whether that's an instrument or a voice or the writing or the producing, simply to create art. And if the art sounds like what Alice in Chains does, or if it sounds like something even more cacophonous and kind of avant-garde, or if it sounds like something kind of minimalist and Brian Eno-esque, or uh, pop, you know, kind of straight ahead pop music that doesn't, you know, seem to have a lot of intricacy to it, we are always deceived by the sound of things. It's kind of like that same idea I had in another podcast where we think that intimate acoustic music means that music is deeper and more honest than music that has, let's say, dis distorted guitars and a pop, you know, maybe power pop or something. Not true in the least. You can have as much honesty or as little honesty in any type of music of any sound. You can have as much tragedy or as little tragedy in any type of music of any sound. And what we should be focusing on Although human interest and the story of a person's life is, is just so wonderfully important, we should be focusing on the art. We should be focusing on the music. We should be focusing on the pleasure and the joy and the experience and the connection that these artists have created in, in all the kinds of music that they've done, including and very much so including Alice in Chains, both with and without Lane Staley. And I hope that that point was made strongly enough to kind of hit through that don't let how a person's life ended or the tragedy that they've had to go through uh, tell you or give you the wrong impression about what they did with their lives while they were here or what they continue to do like Jerry Cantrell, who has suffered his own issues with drug addiction, has been clean for a really long time and has contributed such, uh, contributed such amazing and wonderful music to the world. Um, music which has influenced me. And we always get to this. Uh, grunge was a real awakening for me at the time. And for years after, it, it really shaped the music that I did. And even though I moved on from that in many ways, elements of it have always remained. So I, you know, I think that the, the two links that I've included here in the text, please, as always, click the links, uh, information at the top, music at the bottom. I would love for you to comment, as always, on any of what I'm saying, but in particular on the music that you hear, because that's the thing most near and dear to me, because it's my music, and because it's all about music. 
And that would be an older song of mine called Your Sister, which I think you'll hear some of the harmonic qualities of Alice in Chains in that song, Your Sister. So please listen to that. And a newer song of mine, Three More Minutes, which has that tight harmony to it. Rhythmically, it's, it's I think, different from what Alice in Chains did, but in other elements of the way that it's sung and the way it's structured even uh, melodically, harmonically, chordally, You'll hear an Alice in Chains influence in that song, Three More Minutes. I would also cite two other songs. Um, a band I was in in the 90s, Ape Cafe. There's a song, Porcupines in Paris. Porcupines in Paris, yes. Look it up, and you'll hear some major Alice in Chains harmonies in there. And then on my SoundCloud page, there's a, there's a song called Three People, which I never fully produced. I just did a demo of, and that is a major. Again, you'll hear it immediately, that Alice in Chains influence. So it's everywhere. And, uh, you know, uh, mixed with all the other influences I have, which shows the connections that we're trying to make here. Um, were you a fan of Alice in Chains? Are you still? Have you followed them through the years, even past their hiatus into the William Duvall era? Uh, do you remember Lane Staley's death? Do you, do you remember what it felt like? Did it mean anything to you at the time? Uh, do you and have you assumed that all dark music is made by dark people and all pop music or light music is made by people who don't have demons? I would love to know that. Uh, what other favorite bands of yours do you think have been unfairly maligned because of their sound or because of the tragedy or personal issues surrounding that band? Is there a band you'd like to give a shout out to? Like, don't think of them as this because they did so much more than that. I want to know. I want to. I want to know what you agree or disagree with. I want to know everything you're thinking because, as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you, as always, for joining me and for listening and watching and clicking and sharing and supporting. And I'll talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.